Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. New York taxi drivers descend on the U.S. Capitol to demand economic stimulus and relief for struggling American workers. And as the Trump administration makes its last stand at the U.S. Supreme Court to try to overturn his loss in the election, his supporters plan to return to D.C. for a parade in advance of a vote by the Electoral College. We speak to April Goggins, core organizer for Black Lives Matter D.C. What we know is historically, you can't ignore fascism. One of the reasons and the ways that fascism and white supremacy grows is in the darkness, when you're not focusing on stopping it. All that and much more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. As of this broadcast on the morning of Friday, December 11th, Washington is staying in character as a failed state. With 3,000 Americans dying each day from coronavirus and another 1.3 million people filing new claims for unemployment last week, Even a woefully inadequate $908 billion COVID relief bill could not pass Congress. Senate leader Mitch McConnell actually balked at provisions to aid collapsing municipalities and states. And Democrats, labor and civil rights groups do not want to give corporations McConnell's proposed shield against virus lawsuits from workers, especially essential workers literally risking their lives during the pandemic. The House passed a $3.4 trillion aid package called the HEROES Act to assist families, businesses, and states in May. But since then, McConnell has refused to bring that proposed law, even in a slimmed-down version, to a vote in the Senate. Both parties are vowing to not adjourn for the holidays without passing some version of COVID relief. A separate stopgap funding measure passed by the House on Wednesday must be passed by the Senate by tonight at midnight to keep the government from shutting down on Saturday. But Congress did manage to pass $740 billion in military spending. Meanwhile, with no compromise in sight on a larger aid package, Senator Bernie Sanders, independent of Vermont, and Republican Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri introduced an amendment to at least send another round of those $1,200 checks to individuals. They both spoke on the floor of the Senate on Thursday in support of sending this aid immediately to families. Today, we are where we are, which is at another terrible moment in this pandemic. And this Congress must act. We cannot leave here to go home to our families for the Christmas holidays while other families throughout this country buy the millions are wondering how they're going to pay the rent or feed their kids. We cannot do that. And I'm proud to say that uh, Senator 
Holly from Missouri and I have worked together on a pretty simple amendment, and he'll be talking about it in a second, which says that we must include in any legislation that is passed a direct payment of $1,200 for adults and $500 for kids. We cannot, we must not leave Washington unless we do that. And next week, I am going to do everything that I can to make sure that that happens. We cannot, we will not leave Washington unless we make certain that millions of families have the economic assistance uh, that they need. So we are working on bipartisan legislation, and on, uh, Senator Hawley has done a very, very good job on this, and proud to yield the floor uh, to him. I'm, I'm delighted to join with Senator Sanders in this important legislation. It's very simple legislation, and this is, to my mind, a very simple proposition. Here's the proposition, that when it comes to COVID relief in the midst of this crisis, working families and working people should be first to get relief, not last. Their interests, their needs should be first on our to-do list, not last. And I'll just say also as a matter of fairness, if the United States government is going to shut down your business, if it's going to tell you to go home for health reasons, if it's going to give you no choice in the matter, I think that there is an obligation to support and help the people who are affected through no fault of their own. Let's be clear. The millions of Americans who are out of work because of this pandemic, they haven't done anything wrong. The 853,000 Americans who today, the new numbers tell us, filed for unemployment benefits, they're not at fault in this pandemic. We want to support and stand with working individuals and working families. I want the working people of Missouri to know that they are first on the priority list. And when it comes to COVID relief, we will not leave this town until we have voted, up or down, until we have voted on direct relief for working people in my state, in Senator Sanders' state, and in every state in this union. Also on Thursday, 100 cab drivers in a caravan to Washington, D.C. from New York, Philadelphia, and Maryland circled the Capitol and then rallied for Congress to pass economic stimulus immediately. This is Bayravi Desai, Executive Director of the New York Taxi Workers Alliance. Americans are in a desperation like we have not seen in generations in almost a century. It's not just the global pandemic that is killing our people. It's also the hunger and the homelessness and the utter desperation. The Alliance pointed out that taxi cabs are among the hardest hit by the economic crisis. More from the cabbies rally later in the show. Also in D.C. this week, Trump's continued campaign claiming that he won the election is reaching a frenzied endpoint. More than 100 House Republicans on Thursday signed an amicus brief in support of the lawsuit of Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. The lawsuit was filed on Tuesday to the U.S. Supreme Court and claims that elections in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin were illegitimate 
and calls on the high court to delay the vote of the Electoral College, scheduled for Monday, December 14th. And those legal maneuvers are one reason why Trump supporters are planning to descend on Washington, D.C. again this December 12th for what they are calling a Trump parade. A broad coalition of social justice activists are holding three days of rallies and dance parties at Black Lives Matter Plaza near the White House to protect the plaza, art, and memorials, which were vandalized by those attending the Million MAGA March last month. For international news this week, Lydia Curtis attended a teach-in organized by the U.S. section of the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. The Pentagon announced Friday, December 4th, the removal of virtually all 700 troops from Somalia by January 15, 2021. Coincidentally, this announcement was made on the same day of the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom webinar on removing the U.S. Africa Command, or AFRICOM, from the African continent. Margaret Kimberly from the Black Alliance for Peace was invited to add to the discussion. The United States has given itself the right to divide up the world, making real the concept of full-spectrum dominance. There's a NORTHCOM, which encompasses North America, a SOUTHCOM for South America, an EUCOM for Europe, CENTCOM for Egypt and Western Asia, and an INDOPACCOM covering Eastern Asia and the Pacific. There's even a space command, Donald Trump's Space Force, which seeks to militarize the space which covers the entire planet. So we see then that the establishment of AFRICOM was an extension of an already inhumane system which deprives nations and peoples of their rights to live without interference or domination. AFRICOM, as I said, began under Bush, but came to full fruition, establishing itself throughout the continent under Barack Obama. Now, an estimated 43 nations have an active U.S. military presence in Africa. This, in fact, was news to most Americans who, for obvious reasons, are not kept abreast of this and other developments until 2017, when four American soldiers were killed in Niger. Even some members of Congress expressed surprise at the extent of the U.S. military presence on the African continent. For more information on how you can help shut down AFRICOM, go to hashtag shutdownafricom on social media or blackallianceforpeace.com for downloadable materials. This is Lydia Curtis for On the Ground. And finally, in culture and media... There will be three days of festivities, including dance parties on Black Lives Matter Plaza near the White House on December 11th through December 13th. More information is at DefendDC.org and ShutdownDC.org. The Democratic Socialists of America, Maryland, D.C. branch, is holding a protest at DuPont Circle Park Friday, December 11th at 1130 a.m., demanding that the incoming Biden administration fight for a working class agenda that meets the scale of the present COVID and climate crises. The march includes a series of demonstrations at the offices of Biden cabinet appointments to highlight the ongoing corrosive influence of fossil fuel, corporate and war profiteering interests on the Democratic Party's climate, economic, and foreign policy. Today's march is part of a nationwide DSA action to make it clear the Democratic Party leadership and incoming administration cannot afford to ignore working-class needs during the ongoing crises. 
Also, the 2020 African Diaspora International Film Festival is totally virtual this year and wraps up Sunday, December 13th. But even after that, you can still find out about the dozens of films screened this year and how to see them after the festival. And I want to remember the fearsome baseball slugger and outfielder Richard Allen, who endured racist sports fans in my hometown of Philadelphia during the 1960s and then went on to have a career worthy of the Hall of Fame. He died Monday, December 7th. And Justine Eisenberg, the 103-year-old social justice activist, lost her brief but fierce battle with COVID-19 on Thursday, December 10th. Justine is mother of our sister radio programmer at WPFW in Washington, D.C., Joni Eisenberg, who will provide an update soon to all friends about memorial plans. And she thanks everyone for their prayers and love. And those are our headlines. This is On the Ground on Pacifica Radio. Stay with us. We'll believe in freedom cannot rest. Mm, we who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it pandemic. 
left to die, basically. If it's not from COVID, then it's from the poverty. This is something like we haven't seen since the Great Depression. And it's impossible to imagine that in an era where you have extreme wealth, and in the richest country in the history of the world, that our people could be suffering to this level. So we came here from all of our cities to demand that Congress listen to the people, that Congress understand that it needs to feed the Americans, needs to make sure that Americans have a roof boost between a one-time stimulus check and unemployment. For taxi drivers who are considered independent contractors, unemployment is less than $200 a week across this entire country. In New York, it's $182 a week. In Virginia, it's like $145 a week. How on earth are people expected to survive? And to think that Congress members think that that $182 a week or $145 a week is somehow too much. To imagine that they think that giving a one-time stimulus check of $1,200 which amounts to a support of $150 per month of this pandemic. Some of these people think it's somehow too much. It's not just unimaginable or unethical or unconscionable. To us, it's criminal because it's going to literally kill people. It's going to destroy lives. We're here to remind Congress that the people have this desperate need. We need them to do the right thing. We should not have to choose between putting food on the table and workplace safety. We should not have to choose between a stimulus check and extending unemployment. It's just, it's so deeply hurtful and it's so terrifying the level of neglect that we are feeling right now. For us, from the Taxi Workers Alliance, we've also been fighting for forgiveness on medallion debt that our members are facing, are suffering, primarily because of predatory lending, which was encouraged by the city of New York itself. The city has continued to say, the mayor has said, that he can only do something if there's a stimulus bill. First of all, we don't buy what the mayor is saying because we believe the money is there. But we also do understand that the city in general is also in dire need. And, you know, every city that you go to, taxi drivers are always the symbol of that city. For New York, when you see that yellow, that's when you know that scene in that movie or TV show or on a magazine ad that it's in New York City. And so we've also come here as New Yorkers to say that we refuse to let our city be drowned by this pandemic. We're doing our part. We need the funding for the city like we need the funding for all of our families. And so we're asking Congress to stop waiting, to stop playing political games because when you play political games, you're playing with people's lives. 
Americans are in a desperation like we have not seen in generations in almost a century. It's not just the, the global pandemic that is killing our people. It's also the hunger and the homelessness and the utter desperation. All of that can be fixed by Congress and the White House doing right by their people, passing this stimulus bill and continuing to pass stimulus bills until there is a full recovery and all of us are able to stabilize our lives and our health. Good afternoon, my name is Ronald Black. I'm the president of the Taxi Workers Alliance of Pennsylvania, based in Philadelphia. We have about 5,000 taxi cab drivers in the city. This pandemic has been really horrible for us. Right now, we've got out of 1,700 taxi cabs, we have maybe 100 on the street. And the ones that are working the street, where you would normally get a fare from the airport within an hour, are now waiting five, five to nine hours Saturday. Some of the drivers are waiting nine hours for a $30 job. They say, go back to work. There's work out there. And, and the drivers are going out there. They go to the train station, they're waiting two hours, and they're getting a five, six dollar job up the street. You know, it's, it's, it's almost impossible. We go to the prayer now, we get the food. You know, we, we take advantage of the rent, rent assistance because you want to know, a lot of drivers are four or five months behind on their rent. And when that hits, it's going to hurt a lot. And it's not just the drivers. It's their stay wives, it's their husbands, it's the children. So we just praying and we hoping that, you know, our leaders here, you know, have some sort of moral conscience. Like people are suffering, not just taxi drivers, it's, it's the food cart workers, it's the hotel workers, it's the restaurant workers. It's, it's millions of workers throughout this country that are suffering here. This is not funny. This is no political football. You know, people need help. This is just as worse as the Great Depression, you know. So, you know, I'm a little bit of these most of it, um, but I'm here just like to witness it. Pull up here, we are hurting and we're suffering. Thank you. When you think about what's happening, it honestly just feels like almost sinister, you know, like evil. You know, on one hand, we're being told that they want to protect uh, companies from being sued over unsafe conditions. The other hand, we're being told that they want to cut unemployment. In other words, they want to force people, workers, into working, okay, at the, you know, at the command of their bosses without giving workers any protection on one hand or any choice on the other. And that just feels so incredibly sinister that you're purposely, you know, closing in on people and leaving them with no choices, but to put their lives at risk in the middle of a pandemic. You know, I mean, nobody knows who has a pre-existing condition. It's nobody else's business. People know for themselves if they're at risk. And the idea that if you are at risk, that you're being left with no choice. You know, or, I mean, you look around the country, America is 5% of the global population, yet we have one of the highest rates of COVID on the entire planet. We had 3,000 Americans die yesterday. When 3,000 Americans were killed on 9-11, it led us into war 
that we're still in the middle of. So when we talk about a global pandemic killing our people, the only conversation that's being held is not emergency powers to give people aid, but rather how to manipulate and force people into working and putting their lives at risk. This, it's, this is not democracy. This is pure sinister, you know? And it, it doesn't even particularly promote the interests of businesses because businesses need workers to survive and live and thrive. So really, at the end of the day, it just feels like a purely hateful approach to making public policy that's meant to punish those who are already poor and working class and put them into deeper poverty and turn it into a game of the survival of the fittest. But we're here to say this is not a survivor game show. This is life. We, we value our lives. We value the lives of the people that we love. And in order for all of that to be protected, we need the stimulus. And make no mistake, the stimulus is just the beginning. The stimulus is just a band-aid. You know, we still have a gunshot wound to fix. It's really just a band-aid. But the idea that they don't even want to give you a band-aid, they're trying to send us a clear message. They'd rather us, you know, bleed out alive than to do anything for us. But we're just here to say, that the nameless and faceless working class that some of these people in that building behind us seem to want to kill, well, we're not afraid to stand up for ourselves and for all of our fellow Americans. So I just, I want to now turn it over to um, Mohammed Zaman from New York City. Thank you, thank you, Vice President. Thank you, media. Good afternoon, my name is Mohammed Zaman. I'm a taxi driver in New York City. I came from New York City. I'm driving 28 years, and I own the medallion since 1994, almost 22 years. I have a very hard business right now. Almost 200% drop our business because the airport, all office, and everything is shut down. So we don't have nothing business. I have a big mortgage, almost $3,000. I cannot pay because right now they uh, falls, but they ha I have to pay end of the when the COVID is finished. So I like to, our um, state government, like our new elected President Biden, senators, and all Congress members, give me a, some package for all hardworking people, like taxi driver and self-employee need a help right now. Uh, I, I request also, as a New York City Taxi Worker Alliance member, I request everyone, please uh, give us help or similar specs to uh, survive our family and all members. Thank you. We're going to now have Mr. Rossini Celestine, a senior driver also from New York City. I've been driving for 40 years. For 40 years, since 1980, I did Texas Man Medallion on 1983. After 40 years, I can tell you I lost everything. We lost everything. Like last two weeks, I got a friend called me. He was to work. He made $1,000. After seven days, 14 hours a day, $1,000. He paid the owner 
the owner took been listening to cab drivers and Bay Ravi Desai, executive director of the New York Taxi Workers Alliance, rallying near the U.S. Capitol for COVID relief and economic stimulus for all American workers on Thursday, December 10th, 2020. This is On the Ground on Pacifica Radio. Stay with us. Beyond the thunder and lightning, past the clouds, over the dark night She reached up to the sky of stars And caught the red hot light of the North Star With blood so free She challenged the whip, the gun, the knife She challenged the fire Pulled from the bodies of slaves Made into laws, prisons and courts
with burning eyes and black skin, torn skin, whipped skin, degraded skin, smashed skin, dehumanized skin, dehumanized skin.
prepares for MAGA supporters and Proud Boys to once again descend, we caught up with April Goggins, organizer with Black Lives Matter DC, for her perspective on what is needed now. We spoke about other current issues, such as the legacy police chief Peter Newsham leaves as he departs MPD, the letter-writing campaign to end police union control of MPD, and BLMDC's recent statement with other local chapters on accountability from Black Lives Matter International. The first question for you is regarding Peter Newsham. I just wanted to ask you, what in your eyes Peter Newsham's legacy with MPD is going to be, and particularly as regards the police killings on his watch and his department's response to protests? Yeah, I think that his legacy is going to be about mastering the art of deflection. I think that his legacy will be about setting an example for how you live above the law and perpetuate the ability for others who are aligned with you to also live above the law. Mm. I think that his legacy will play out in a way that highlights his selective his selective operations with inside of constitutionality that he purports to support. I think that he he will be known for operating in a way that doesn't take the presumption of innocence seriously when it comes to black folks. 
and one that always justifies the brutality and violence, even death of black folks at the at the hands of police. Mm. Would you mind getting specific as far as some of the specific incidents or specific actions that he's accountable for and responsible for over the course right. of his tenure? Yeah, so I think it's, it's really important for folks to know that this dedication to... Uh, dedication to, uh, you know, circumventing law in um, policies many of which he was part of creating stands his whole career. I think people forget that he is the person who was assigned to oversee the MOU with the Department of Justice on police use of force in D.C. And so he has continuously said that, you know, we're such a better police department now after, you know, being in compliance with that MOU. Well, you know, there was clearly a report that came out a few years ago called Deadly Force Revisited, I believe, that just talks about how, no, some of those requirements were never met and many of them were walked back. Um, so they were out of, substantially out of compliance with that MOU. But, you know, it's Peter Newsom, so no one's going to call him on it. I think that, you know, we look back to when he was getting confirmed in his confirmation hearing where folks protested and we said to them, here are all the things that he has done and here's how that's going to play out. And we were right. We were spot on on everything. Mm. And the council, all but Grasso, decided that, hey, that was a risk or, he, you know, he's proven to be different. Um, and that was a different time in D.C. But then we see, you know, between J20 and, you know, this summer on Black Lives Matter Plaza, you just saw the same as Pershing Park. What you saw was just the violent repression of dissent, especially dissent against police. Um, I think that specifically when it comes to Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter D.C. and just Black Lives Matter protests in D.C., there is a, he has a visceral reaction to any kind of public disagreement, challenges about police or policing or him, um, but mostly mm. policing. Right. Well, next, still sort of talking about police, I was hoping you could go into your letter-writing campaign to end police union control of MPD, and maybe if you could share with us what the need for this letter-writing campaign is, so why is it important to end police union control of MPD, if you could talk about how many people have participated in the campaign so far in any upcoming events that people can get involved in related to it, and just generally sort of what is the goal of this campaign? So the goal of the campaign is, you know, we want to tell the, the council, the mayor, that even though we're abolitionists, that on this road to, to safe community, we're still going to have to disrupt and dismantle their control. That's the police. And in this sense, the, the fraternal order of police, their control over our communities. And frankly, their control over the D.C. Council. They're basically allowed to do what they want. Um, the, the, the D.C. Council is completely, you know, at their, at their whim. They do 
support whatever they do, you know, whatever it is that they, they put out there. I will say Charles Allen has pushed back recently against some of their, you know, just really made-up stuff. So, so far we've had about, like, 1,300 people sign um, and send letters. Wow, that's um, incredible. Yeah, it's it's really been a great – yeah, folks are really doing a great job. So, you know, it's important that folks remember that the police unions have a lot of power. They get to negotiate with the city what the what the discipline looks like or doesn't look like for police officers who are supposedly have, you know, misconduct issues or violence or even even the murder of folks. So next, I was hoping you could Sort of flesh out the recent statement you released with other BLM chapters around the country about BLM International, and if you could share with us what your concerns are with the international organization, and also maybe what would be the implications of your disagreement with them and your stance and maybe the next step in the relationship between BLM DC and BLM International. Yeah, so that's a great question. You know, putting out this statement was really, really hard. We have talked about going public with our issues for a few years now. Um, But there were just constant attempts for both us as chapters to be able to come up with the democratic decision-making structures and, you know, ensuring that, you know, we were able to support each other in the network in ways that made strong, strong chapters, you know, political education. And we tried and tried. And this time it looked as if this summer Patrice had agreed to at least starting that process. But in the midst of that process, she and other folks uh, who would eventually become the grassroots, this new third arm of grassroots Black Lives Matter, were finalizing, you know, they were finalizing plans for that and had cut all of us out. At the same time, they said we were working through this accountability process, right? So, you know, at that point, it's just like, yeah, there's not much else to do. It's like you don't, you you cannot continue to allow things to be going on that you know are not right because you feel like you have to protect somebody because at some point, like, we hold systems and people, corporations every day accountable for their impact on society. And that's no different than, you know, asking for accountability from um, an organization. And so, you know, I don't ever believe that things, you know, with, with, with every kind of conflict or tension, you know, it's, it's always ebbing and flowing, right? I think that it's not a permanent state of being. I think that what we're asking for is reasonable. We want to know how much money there is, where it came from, what's been done with it, because how can you build Transparency. Yeah, exactly. How can you build something new without knowing what you have, right? And then, you know, here in D.C. especially, it's really difficult to try to have the kind of credibility and, and for all, you know, what we're talking about, the kind of credibility is 
if people see the national folks doing something or, you know, making a certain kind of statement, they assume that we're behind it. Like we agree with it, that it's also us doing it. Um, and there's just far too much that the global network and grassroots now, um, their political leanings and um, strategies and tactics are not in alignment with many of us, and they are being both created and implemented um, and rolled out without absolutely any input from chapters. There's not even a way, you know, to do that. So our final topic, and I don't want to hold you for too much longer. I really appreciate the time you've been able to give. But I did want to ask if you could speak on the fact that Proud Boys and MAGA supporters are planning to converge here in D.C. again soon. And if you can maybe offer your perspective on that, if you could tell us if there are any actions that BLM D.C. has planned to defend the city and the artwork on BLM Plaza from desecration, and if there is just anything you would say to D.C. residents who may be worried for their safety as we're preparing for this. Right. I think that, so first, BLM is going to have an action Saturday and Sunday. Folks, different organizations across coalition, a broad coalition of organizations um, are going to be at Black Lives Matter Plaza. Our goal is to make that the, like one of the safest spots in D.C., both free from the violence of the Trump, support, the Trump supporters and Proud Boys, and also a place, you know, where we are in a group, but unlike them, <laughs> with masks and social distancing. Um, Correct. Because one so, of the risks is that they also bring disease to town when oh, they absolutely. come, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, they tend to bring a lot. I mean, when they came here before, none of them had masks. I mean, you're talking about thousands of people that just walked around downtown with no masks. Yeah, and I know a lot of people are like, you just need to don't don't feed into them, you know, ignore them. And, like, what we know is historically you can't ignore fascism, right? Like, it doesn't, one of the reasons and the ways that fascism um, and white supremacy grows is in the darkness. Like, it grows really fast when you're not focusing on stopping it, right? Um, mm. And so I think there is, we do have a duty and, you know, as with anything we do, every time we go to protest, you know, we're putting ourselves in danger. So COVID is, is another danger, and all we can do is do our best to, you know, keep masks on and wear them properly. We usually have a lot of hand sanitizer, you know, social distance. And we told everybody, like, get a COVID test where you come out. And if you feel sick at all, just don't come. Or anybody in your house is sick, don't come. Because I think we can do both. And we have a responsibility to, to do both. You can join Black Lives Matter DC in resistance efforts such as their Get This Dance and Dance Party all day December 11th through 13th in Black Lives Matter Plaza. For On the Ground, this is Chantal James. Well, that will do it for today's show. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. A special thanks to Chantel James and Lydia Curtis for their contributions to the show. 
at onthegroundshow.org. You can check out all of our current and past shows. Contact us and support us. You can also let us know you like the show on Facebook, Twitter, or on patreon.com at On The Ground Show. Our new podcast, On The Ground with Esther Averam, that's On The Ground W. Esther Averam is on all your podcast platforms. And if you check out the podcast, I would appreciate your nice rating. Our new podcast, our social media pages and website all have a protest sign with green lettering that says On The Ground. The music we played this hour included Ella's song by the Resistant Revival Chorus and the North Star by Fred Foss featuring the poetry of Gaston Neal. Our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Ivarum. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace. This is Esther Ivarum, producer and host of On the Ground, thanking you for listening and for being a part of our audience. And I'm asking you to please partner with us in keeping alive this independent grassroots news program from Washington, D.C. Your fully tax-deductible donation of as little as $3 a month will help us keep lifting up voices of activism and resistance to corporate power and corporate media. So please go to our page at patreon.com forward slash on the ground show that's patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash on the ground show where we post the shows and bonus material or you can see all the ways to support including end of the year giving and paypal on our website which you know is on the ground show dot org thank you